Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who doesn't want to be lonely tonight and the man who has seen fire and rain. Here's your handyman and my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Uh, hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a fellow Washington High School Patriot alum. His most recent record is called Results Not Typical. It's now ready for audio consumption. You can pick that up at one of the many gigs that he does out there in the Northwest. And mark your calendar for September 13th for his album release party in Seattle. So please welcome to the podcast our friend Ian Jones. Hello. Or should I call you Sweet Baby Jones in honor of the record that you chose to revisit for this episode? Yeah, that's, you know, you call me what you want, man. That's, that's, uh, it's a good record. I'm a big, big fan of his. All right. So the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but I have a feeling we're going to talk about a lot of other stuff as well. But uh, at the beginning of each of our podcast episodes, we ask the all-important question. So, Wayne, I'm going to start with you. What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity, the honor, to take my uh, 10-year-old grandson to his first rock and roll show. So I'm wearing my Bowling for Soup uh, concert T-shirt. Fantastic. How about you, Ian? What T-shirt are you wearing? Well, knowing the premise of this show... I went deep into the t-shirt archives and I pulled out the Paul McCartney concert shirt from 1990 where I and Chris Knutson took my mom. She did not know. So I was 20 and we rolled in Chris's old beater brown Mercedes. We said, okay, mom, get in. Where are we going? We're not telling you. We get in and we're driving up to Seattle and about three quarters of the way up, I pull out a bottle of champagne and I blow the cork in Chris's back seat. <laughs> and I show my mom the tickets and she's like, no, my mom's a huge McCartney fan. She's like, no, this is Kingdom era. And we had great seats. We were probably, I don't know, we had really good seats. And I got a t-shirt and we had a blast and it was the first time I took my mom to a show. I've since taken to her to a few more. And I was going to wear the other. I was going to wear a Ryan Adams shirt. I took mom to see that. But Ryan's still kind of on timeout. So uh, Hot topic. I, I, pulled the, <laughs> I, pulled the, uh, I pulled the old McCartney shirt out. It's a little snug when I'm wearing it. My daughter hasn't taken it and torn it up to shreds yet. So uh, I'm hiding it from her. You keep that in the back of the closet. Uh, yeah, there's a few. The one I can't find that I was going to wear was my uh, – um, the David Bowie Let's Dance, 1983, very first show at the uh, Tacoma, uh, Tacoma Dome, yeah. Tubes in 1983. Me and Mark Eager snuck out and went to that. Um, in fact, Mark and I were just talking about that. Um, I found an old T-shirt, uh, rock and roll T-shirt book, and they had that T-shirt, and I had it, and I can't find the T-shirt anywhere. I never would have got rid of it. Even if it was threadbare, I never would have got rid of that. But somehow it didn't make the various moves that we've made, so – that is absolutely hilarious that you even brought that up because I, so I, I'll, I'll tell you my t-shirt that I'm wearing. Mine's not from the archives, but I wrote down on my notes. So I remember some of the most mundane details 
And I recall you showing up to ninth grade wearing your David Bowie Serious Moonlight t-shirt. And I was super jealous because my parents wouldn't let me attend that concert that summer. They let me go to Journey that summer. That was my first concert. I think they were freaked out by David Bowie's androgyny. So they they didn't want they didn't want me to go to that. I wasn't supposed to go to that concert either. And Mark and I kind of might have told our parents a different story. <laughs> and we got caught. And we went and saw Bowie in the tubes and we were like third row. We were right up there in the front. And our punishment, my punishment, was that I couldn't go see the police synchronicity tour that my sisters and all my mm. went to. So I missed out on that. However, I think I got the better of the deal. I think you did too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did too. All right. I ended up seeing Bowie like eight times. So he's one of my favorites. Thanks for uh, thanks for rubbing that in because I never. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to rub it in. No, I. Well, <laughs> neither one of us ever got the opportunity to see Bowie. So uh, yeah, that 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 hurts a little, Ian. Yeah. All right, so uh, so I'm wearing a new T-shirt, so mine's not from the archives. Um, I'm wearing a Shake Baby Shake T-shirt that I received from Katie Tupin, our guest from a couple episodes ago. Oh, swag. The swag. That's it. In. I joked with her uh, about not winning her T-shirt concert, and so she was kind enough to send me a T-shirt. So free T-shirts are my favorite. Well, I will send you one when I get mine. There we go. How's that? They're a gorilla screen print right now as we as we speak. Awesome. We're uh, we're we're more than happy to pimp you out on another episode down the road. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Well, I should be able to catch a show, so I'll, I'll just pick it up there. There you go. I don't know. If I'll bring it tomorrow. I have some old. Oh no! I see you're going to be around a lot. If I miss it tomorrow, there's plenty of shows that are pretty close. Yeah. We're going to be at to the, we're going to be at the, uh, I'm not sure what day in November, it's going to be a Monday night show. We just picked it up at the new McMinimans. They got a new booking agent. And so we are starting to play in the sandbox with her. And it looks like we're going to try to get a, that, have you been in there? I have not. I heard it's sensational. It's super cool. It's the old Elks and the, the ballroom where the concerts are is really, really nice. Big, nice venue. Cool. Yeah. I can't wait to uh, see it. I've been waiting. Uh, I've been waiting to for someone to do something with that building for like 25 years. Yeah, it's 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 quite a spectacle. It's a lot of fun. Cool, right on. All right, well let's uh, let's jump into some some interview questions. So, awesome. you know, I recall you being a big fan of music back in you know junior high and high school, like Bowie we just referenced and Stones and but I didn't know that you actually played music. I just thought you were a fan of, of music. So where, where did the singer songwriter stuff come from? How, how did that, how did that evolve? So we lived, I don't know if you ever, if you were familiar with our house, we lived up on a 121st in McKinley up there on the east side of uh, Pacific where this, after the sewers stopped, everyone had big fields and woods and stuff. And so we lived in a big creepy house. No one, no one came to our house, even on Halloween. It was like the Munster's house. And, um, and we had a piano. And so my, my, my folks were separated. My mom was working. She was a single mom. And, and, um, my babysitter was a turntable. And so I listened to, and, and eager lived down the street. So we would go back and forth to each other's house and just listen to music all the time. And I started to, pick out stuff on the piano um elton john beatles 
um, things. And I kind of taught myself how to play piano, but I was always horrified that someone might find out that I was trying to play. So I never told anyone that I played, even my family, you know, they would come home and I would stop playing. And, uh, I think I wrote my first song. I don't, I, I used to have it, but I don't, I don't anymore. Um, for, you know, obviously about a girl and I was probably 17 or 18. I was in my first band with Brian Castillo, who was part of the Waterwitz Productions. And that's when I worked at Calzones over there where I guess that's where Hooters is now. And we were, <clears throat> we worked together and, and we're in a band with Donald Glaude, the DJ. The three of us had a band. We practiced at Donald's place. And that had to have been late eighties, like 89. And I never, and then of course, you know, Todd and Jim Matias were the guitar players, you know, and, um, and I was always super intimidated by them. You know, Kurt Sakamoto played drums and I was super intimidated by him because they were like really good. So whenever anyone would like at a party or something, if there was a, if there was a guitar or piano or anything, I would just watch. And I would just like kind of tie my hands behind my back and, and never, never do anything. Uh, there's my mom has stories of me sing. I've always sang. I always sang along with like the Beatles records. I would sing along with anything. My mom tells stories of me singing "Get It While You Can" while I was on the swing when I was two years old, um, screaming Janice at the top of my lungs. So um, uh, Todd eventually, my my stepdad had a beater old classical guitar that was just like a piece of kindling with strings on it. But um, Todd tuned it up for me and he showed me a couple chords. And then he and Jim would every once in a while would come over and they would like show me a couple more chords. And I just basically banged out those chords and mostly, and then they showed me like an REM song or two, like old, like off, you know, fables or reckoning or something. And we would kind of jam a little bit, but I'd always just totally be, I'd feel humiliated because those guys could just shred. And I, I, once we got outside the three chords, I knew I, I just stumbled and I, and I think, that probably lends itself to why even today when people start to jam, I just, I'm not a, a jammer. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not very good at jamming. Um, and it's probably because I was so self-conscious when I was a kid about not being trained, never had lessons. So yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I kind of held it under my, under my belt until the early nineties when I moved to Seattle and I finally asked for guitar lessons from this guy Jeff Lorian, who was, we started the Orange King back in 94, 95. And he, he said, you don't need lessons. You just need to practice. Come to my studio and we'll jam. And so we, you know, get some beers or a bottle of whiskey or something. And then we'd play and jam. And it was a soundproof room. And next thing you know, he's like, we're doing a show. And I was like, what? And, and that started it. And that's pretty much it. You know, the rest is history. Just a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of open mics, a lot of falling down on my face over and over and over again. The, the classic the classic line is Dave Grohl said, if you want to be a musician, get some shitty instruments, go in your garage and suck. <laughs> and just keep sucking because sooner or later, you're not going to suck anymore. So you have to just fall on your face and fall down and, and you have to suck <laughs> for, for a long time before you get any to be any good. And I go back and listen to those the, my first record that I did and I just, oh, it's, painful to listen to i couldn't i was caterwauling i had no idea what i was doing but it was i was the best singer of the three so you know i caterwauled the best i guess you could say and uh and you just keep doing it you keep getting it you keep you strive to get better you work i mean i'm a workaholic it's it's a it's a character flaw um 
and you just keep working. You keep working. You keep working. You keep striving. You you keep getting inspired by people. You know where we are from. There's a lot of really good musicians that came out of Tacoma. Yeah, um, came out of our school, and um, it's inspiring to see where they went. And I look at you know Kurt Sakamoto still plays drums, and he's a sensational musician. Yeah, he's still playing. Every every couple of years, Todd will post something on Facebook about you know some new band that he's you know playing playing in he's still he still can carry carry the guitar pretty well oh no i was just at his house in portland and he showed me a studio and we went out and jammed um jim uh we actually played at a the white eagle and jim's band jim and him him and jim one of those two they opened up the night Nice. so it was like cool renaissance of like the you know i've always i've always had this dream of starting a band and calling it the parkland youth but you have to be from Parkland. I mean, so Kurt would play drums. It would be like Todd and Jim, me, get Garrett Shimke to play keys or banjo or whatever he's playing this week. Um, and uh, But you, the goal is, the thing is, you have to be from Parkland. And you'd be like the Parkland Youth Sessions. Is Garrett still around? <laughs> oh, yeah. Garrett, I think he's back in Tacoma. He was living up in Bellevue. He went to, I, the story I heard is that he went to Cornish on a scholarship because he was, he was creepy talented. Yeah, and then he dropped out, and he was uh, he started cutting hair, and he's like, a, and I'm only imagine that if you get a hair cut from Garrett, you probably walk out looking like a Hollywood star, because I mean, everything that guy touches is a piece of art. So, and uh, he's married, and uh, I don't know if they have any kids, but um, he, I think the last I heard, he had moved back to Tacoma area uh, to be closer to his folks. Um, but I think he's that's what he's doing. He's like working in the in the in the kind of hair salon business. I was always jealous of his hair. Yeah. Always. There's a lot of things that I was jealous about Gary. He could, he could jump out of the, he could jump like nine miles. Um, he was so athletic and so talented. And I remember we went up to visit him at Cornish one time and we rang the doorbell. Then I popped back out and I rang it again. I got, what, what note is that? And he goes, ring it again. I rang it. He goes, oh, it's like a G flat. <laughs> and sure enough it was. And I was like, God, really? <laughs> <laughs> So with you being in Seattle, so I, I have to ask you from, since I'm, you know, 20 plus years removed from the Seattle Tacoma area. So is Seattle and Tacoma kinder to singer songwriters with a bit of a, a country bent these days, or is it still kind of stuck in the, the, we like, we like it loud. And why are you playing this country crap for us? I can't speak for Tacoma because I don't play in Tacoma and I'm not really familiar with the Tacoma scene. Is there, is there a scene? I, I have no idea. I'm sure there is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. there is. I mean, there's every, every town, whether you know it or not, every town has a music scene because everyone music's one of those things like food and water and air without it. You can't live. And music is one of those things. If, if you eliminated music from the world, I, I it would be a bad place. Um, so every town has its music scene. As far as Seattle goes, Seattle, I think, always will have its punk roots and its and its rock. Um, there are some bands, I think, that still hang on to the grunge thing, although I think that's moved on. But then again, it's not my scene, so I don't know. I'm sure there's some people out there that are doing some original stuff that's epic. I just you know, being where I am in my life, I don't have a ton of time to go out and go to clubs every night. So I really don't, yeah. I'm, I'm just my, the ignorant level, uh, ignorance level that I have is, is pretty high. Um, 
so there's a big there's a there's like a rock scene and a grunge and a and a punk scene for sure an underground kind of punk scene in Seattle that is 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 huge there's also a big a big electronic scene in Seattle which is very cool um I'm again not very um wise to that but the stuff that I've heard is pretty incredible um a lot of crossover stuff people doing electronic stuff with beats with real instruments um that i think is fascinating you know i'm not going to run out and and start a project like that but i i definitely have have showed up to places and then not left because i was fascinated and really impressed by it as far as the uh, americana or, or alt country or country um scene there are some exceptional songwriters in seattle um both male and female that i really enjoy I could start on a name list, but I mean, I, I could go on for hours. Uh, I'll just say that um, there are some exceptional artists and it, it's a pretty interesting scene. As far as Seattle goes, it, it's hard to know what's going to happen with them because whether they um, are just doing it in Seattle or if they're, if they're trying to get outside of Seattle, which I think if you want to be successful, you kind of have to be willing to sacrifice and go anywhere to play. Um, at least that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, it, it's hard to know what will happen with them, but um, I will tell you that there are some people that I go to see and I just kind of scratch my head and say, man, what am I doing? These guys are great. They're great singers. They're great. Uh, they have great stage presence and their songwriting is top notch. So it's, yeah. it's, and it's a big enough city where you can have all of those things kind of coexisting. It just depends on where you want to go because there's a lot of places to go see music in Seattle now, as opposed to in the '90s when there was just a handful, and a lot of yeah. a lot of those places are gone. So yeah, I was just asking because uh, you know the last who I would consider a really great singer songwriter type um, that came out of Seattle would be like a Sean Smith, who actually at you know, dabbled in electronic music just passed away. for, for, for a short, for a short time, which, which, yeah, he just passed away uh, earlier this year. Um, who, who, you know, the head and the heart came out of Seattle and they were the, yeah. the guy who was started the head and the heart. He was, he ran the open mic at Connor Byrne where we're having our, our CD release show. And, um, and he just met a bunch of guys and they all kind of got together and then they, they were really smart and, and business savvy. Someone was really business savvy and they made a couple of right decisions. And now they're, God, are they on Capitol or Atlantic or something? They, they, they had two records on sub pop and then they signed, went on with another label and they're, they were just on Kimmel, I think. Um, and they're killing it. Their record's awesome. They're super, they're super good, great songwriting. And they, and that's, that's recent. Um, God, who else do I know out of Seattle? That's, that's done really well. Well, Brandy, <laughs> that's not really Seattle, but she was from like North Bend. Right. So that's, yeah. I, I consider that, you know. Yeah, she's, a, she's doing all right. Nico Case. Oh, that's right. Her doing all right. For, forgot Nico was from the Seattle she's, area. She's from yeah, She went to Lakes. So I might be wrong with that, but I know she's a South Ender. Right. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's talk your, uh, Let's talk about your new record. So results not typical. So this is a little different record for you than uh, your piano songs record. Much more full in sound. You, for instance, you got a some horn sections in a couple of your songs, like Lost Highway and Without You, I'm Lost. Seen the sun shining, climbing out of the deep blue sea. 
did kiss that sweet mountaintop as it rises above those trees. I seen a baby take her first breath, felt the chill of a winter frost. And you know that without you I am lost. I traded my sweat for a dollar at the end of a long hard day. The hick in my back. This record was the record I was trying to make when I made the Piano Songs record. I mean, I, I, I fully had gone in. When I met uh, Justin Cronk, who produced the piano record, I went in uh, to the studio the first night, the first two nights. Uh, the first night we went through and we, um, we mapped eight or nine songs. And then we got done. We like got tempos and arrangements and I, we recorded them like acoustic guitar and, and, and vocals and just rough arrangements. And then the second night we went in and we did the same thing. And it was at the end of the night when I, I said, I want to put a piano song or two on. And I think I did, uh, I think I played like Sweet Sense of Mia and, and another song. And, and he came in and he said, do you have any other piano songs? And I said, yeah. And I, and I played uh, like one or two more. And then he got up. I was in the in the big room and playing the piano, and, and he got up, and I saw him get up from behind the board, and he walks out of the room, and he, he walks out, and he comes in, and he just looks at me, and then he walked out, and then he came back in with a bottle of whiskey and two big glasses, and he poured me a giant glass of whiskey, and he poured himself a giant glass of whiskey, and he goes, keep playing. And then, so I was playing some, and then, of course, halfway through the glass of whiskey, I started to loosen up a little bit, because I was kind of, you know, piano, again, I'm kind of freaked out playing piano, because I really don't play piano that much in front of people. I never did it like shows because it's hard to drag a piano around with you and no one has a piano. And then he kept talking to me through the glass saying, oh, you know, what else have you gotten? So at one point he came out and he said, look, you know, do you want me to produce your record? And I said, yeah. Um, and he goes, do you trust me? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I know what record we're going to make, but it's not the record you want to make. It's going to be a piano, all piano songs. And I already know who's going to play on it. And, you know, Kimo Muraki did all the horns on that record and, and we had, you know, Garrett Lunsford came, Jacob Hoffman, who's playing with Brandy now. He played bass. Um, and it was a fun project. But what happened was that this record got shelved. And so when we started making this again, I started making it with Justin and it just didn't work out. So, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, I was talking to my buddy John down in Santa Barbara and he suggested Jesse and Jesse had just had a baby. He was taking a year off from touring was just going to make some records and I went down on tour, saw the studio, hung out with Jesse. We, we kind of reconnected and he was super excited. And, and so he, he, uh, we, we, we did this record down in Ojai. Uh, Jesse produced it. But one of the things, let me back up. One of the things I was at a client's house here in Seattle who his name's Eddie Rayfeld and he's a, he's a brilliant guy and he he's a he's a videographer he worked with like with pearl jam and he's done a bunch of video stuff he's a sensational photographer um world-class photographer um, he's from nashville and we were talking one day and he said you know if, you need to make a record where you pick a lane and that was the first time i'd ever heard anyone use that term he said pick a lane man he goes i've heard your records and you have really good songs but you're kind of all over the place he goes you need to pick a lane if you want to make an impact, pick a lane, pick a theme, do something, but have a record that's all kind of 
similar yet different. And I had songs like Rollin'. I pulled out of Northville and headed down With my head up to keep from crying Watch the sunset without a sound Then I hit that road I was rolling Then I crossed that border California bound And the night was falling down, coming on fast started writing Athens Smiles and again, and I had Goodbyes Are the Hardest Words, which as it turns out was very similar to key and structure. Um, You're gone. And, and then I started to round it out. Um, Dave Bickford and I wrote Without You I'm Lost up at the cabin up near Mount Rainier. And um, again, it's different, but it's if you if you break down the chord structure, it's very similar. So that was my lane. There was this kind of chord structure and pattern that I decided was going to be my lane. And then it just all started to fall into place. And when I showed up with Jesse, we started doing the songs. He, uh, he suggested that we change the keys of some of the songs so that they all didn't sound like the same. You know, I don't want it to be a Rick Astley record with, you know, same song, different word. Um, <laughs> Yeah, see, I figured you'd get that joke. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, and that we were joking. I was like, oh, we could call the album Songs in the Key of F. And he goes, no. But we, so we, we changed a couple of them down to E and went up a couple to F sharp. And But they're all very similar. So that, that suggestion came from Eddie. And then Jesse agreed it was a great idea. And then he really rounded – Jesse really rounded out the this, this stuff. I mean, he's a, he's a world-class producer. Um, you know, I can't be happier – with what we got. I mean, and we've already started working on the next record. We've already started writing. Jesse's writing it with me and we've probably got enough songs to do two records if we wanted to. But um, unfortunately my money tree is on strike. <laughs> so we'll have to wait. Um, but the next record will be probably similar to this one, a little bit more rock and roll, more electric guitar based stuff, but in the same kind of vein, same kind of genre is this one. So that's why you're doing all sorts of gigs to sell all the records that you bought. I'm, you know, I'm doing all the gigs because there's nothing more that I like to do in the world than to go and play music. Yeah. And I've gotten to the point where I think I'm good enough. Um, I had a really, really awesome vocal coach when I was in L.A., uh, Todd Herzog, bless his heart. He's in Arizona now. But he really – I've had a couple vocal coaches, and the first two just were terrible. And he, we just connected. He got me. I got him. And to this day, I still do my vocal exercises almost daily because um, I know that they make a difference. And that's become part of uh, performing. I try to sing really, really, really well. And and I've gotten to be a good enough guitar player and good enough piano player. And I've surrounded myself with really, really talented musicians to where 
playing the music is it's fun when you play and you see people really enjoying it. It's really fun. And, um, you know, I'm not, we're not Steely Dan and we're not doing, we're not rash or anything. It's the songs are not complicated, but I think people connect with them there. I tell stories about the songs when I play. And, um, that's one of the reasons I play all the shows. Also, I mean, it, People don't buy a lot of stuff at shows, at least at the level where I'm at now. But where you play enough and people start to know who you are, if we can get some radio support, I think that'll translate to more bodies at the shows. If we get the right radio support, I think that will translate to a different level of shows, which is kind of where we're gunning. That's what we're gunning for. We're gunning for a different level of shows to where we could play to a much larger audience, you know, festivals, whatever. But I'm always going to go back to like the Bitterroot Valley in Montana. And I'm always going to go play in little places where I've always played just because it's fun. Yeah. You know, you get, you get comfortable playing in those venues. It's kind of like playing in your living room and you see the same faces and, you know, venues that have been there for 55, 60 years and the same people are there. It's just fun. Yeah. And when you have, a, a day job and you and you've got life and life is is rough man i mean it's tough to be where we are in our lives and and struggle through and if you have some something you can do that releases stress and makes you feel like a kid again then I, you know i'm all for it yep. agreed i mean that's what we chatted about Absolutely. the other night of you, you you've talked about the, the the monetary impact of releasing this record and I talked oh, about the, the 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 time and money aspect of launching this podcast. It's but we do it because it, we're we're passionate about it. And and even though I'm, Wayne and I are not uh, musicians, we are fans of music. Therefore, you know we we want to share that. So do what you love, man. There's a lot of ways. If you're not a musician but you love music, there's a lot of ways you can do. You can get into a pastime or a, even a profession that basically you're surrounded by music. My sister uh, is the executive director of a radio station in, in Marin. And she, she doesn't really play, even though I got her a guitar aunt for Christmas and she started taking lessons, but she's like, nah, it's not working. But she, I mean, she just, she has a couple different radio shows. She loves music. She interviews people like same thing you're doing. She, she interviews people. She loves it. She has such a blast. And she's super passionate about it. And it lets her blow off steam. Yeah. And that's and that's key. So blowing off steam is great. It's just the when you're writing checks to go along with it, it, it gets it, it, it gets kind of stressful sometimes. There you but. go. Uh Wayne, Wayne, anything on the on the record that you wanted to chat about before we uh jump into some other no, stuff? No, I, I I enjoy I say I watched the YouTube video from a concert from 2015 which uh three or four of these songs are on um very enjoyable i was telling him before the show how it was it's a super small venue so and he's a good he's a big guy so it was it was, it was like he was a giant on there with this tiny little uh, keyboard and his harmonica but i loved i say it was nice to see that his interaction you know his live show because he doesn't tell bruce springsteen stories stories but he does have a lot of stories that start with a bottle of scotch which I thought was fun. <laughs> Those are old stories. <laughs> okay. We're going to do, we're going to do something new. So we're going to do word association before we jump oh. into James Taylor. So you ready? 
I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw out some stuff, and you just tell me the first thing that kind of comes to mind. We FCC clean here? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Okay. Well, well, no, you, you. I don't think this is FCC regulated. No, it's not FCC regulated. So you know, you, yeah. The the only thing is, f words get uh, clown horn. Right. But right. anything else is uh, have at it. So here we go, right. Bob Dylan. Hit and miss. That's uh, that's my word association as well. All right, Nashville. Transitioning. All right, David Bowie. Godlike. Prince. Underrated. Parkland Theater. Oh my God. <laughs> Rolling beer bottles. Oh yes, the 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 Friday night races of who could who could roll their beer bottle down the aisles the quickest. Let me let me let me re- ask me that again. Park Parkland Theater. Evil Dead. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness! How many times did we see Evil Dead at the Parkland Theater? That and Rocky Horror played for like six years continuously because yeah. they couldn't afford another movie. All right, Washington High School. Glad I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, young Fresh Fellows. Sneaking out to Chris Knutson Hall at PLU. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I was there at that uh, concert with the Romantics as well. Can I, can, I, can I do a little segue? Yeah. So the Walkabouts just played... Was it the Walkabouts or the Go-Betweens? It's one of those bands. They played with the Young Fresh Fellows at Chris Knudsen. They recently were going to – they did a new record, and they were going on tour in Europe, and they played a show at the High Dive. And they were all – and I went. I went to the show, and uh, everyone was talking to the singer, and they were, like, talking about how great he was and all this stuff. And I was kind of waiting around, and I walked over, and I was like, hey, how's it going? He goes – kind of looked at me like, who are you? And I was like, you know, I, 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 it's been a long time since I've been to one of your shows. And he goes, oh, okay. I go, I think the last show I went to of yours was at Chris Knutson Hall at PLU when you played with the Young Fresh Fellows. And he looked at me and he goes, oh my God. <laughs> it's like he was a teenager. And this guy must have been pushing 60. I mean, it was so long ago. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a funny story that I, you know, you went into a guy and you tell him the story like, oh, I remember I was like 12, 13 years old. And I snuck out and saw you at Chris Knutson Hall at PLU. And he had probably forgotten that those shows ever even existed. Right, right. And he was like, wow, that's old school. And I'm like, yeah, that's old school. Anyway, sorry. All right. Well, I digress. One, one last one. And then we'll jump into James Taylor. So fatherhood. Hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? I'd say a word, but it's no words can describe it. You think you're going to get something and what you get out of it is so much more that there's just, yeah, there's no, the unconditional love that your kids give you is unexplainable. Yeah. Good answer. So, Good answer. Me, it, it makes me more driven. Right. Having kids makes me more driven because I want to succeed for them, not just for me, but for them. So. Good. Anyway. Wayne, you want to get in on any of these word associations? Uh, yeah. Well, fatherhood, it, it's funny is it never turns out the way you imagine it, but it ends up being better than you could have imagined. Like I say, you, you, you know, oh, I'm going to have this, you know, this son's going to be born and he's going to do this and it's going to go like this. And 
doesn't go anything like that. And uh, that's been uh, a lot of fun, though. It, yep. Amen to that. Fun like a roller coaster. Yes. I love roller coasters. Yeah. Expensive like a roller coaster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, uh, we've been asking all of our guests this question. So Toto's Africa, good or bad song? Great song. You had me right up until then, Jonesy. <laughs> I do want to say that I do want to say your album, the album title, "The Jones Family Fortune." That is one of the coolest album titles ever. That's my dad came up with that, but that's another story for another. I loved it. Yeah, I'm sure there's a bottle of scotch somewhere in that story. Yeah, a couple of bottles of wine, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, so Ian, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Well, there was a couple I had, and the first couple I think were taken. So I really thought what record made a huge impact on me. And I, I came up with James Taylor's greatest hits. Um, and it was funny cause we were talking the other day and you had said that it really doesn't count cause it's not really a record. It's a compilation. Record. Well, that's Wayne's, that's Wayne's opinion of it. So it's not so much that it doesn't count. It's that I think, I guess what my ultimately I found out doing this podcast is, a record is a is a moment in time. There's, you know, the hits, the singles that you you've heard, and then there's there's a clunker that you might not have even remembered or know about, and then there's always some 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 gems in there that you may not have remembered or 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 find and you find in their way underappreciated. I just feel like this is this. I mean, that's the list of his his singles from. I just have a. I guess I have a philosophical difference with it, but. At the end of the day, it's not my podcast. It's Ben's. He makes that. He makes me painfully aware of that. Yeah, I would agree that uh, an album is a photograph in time of what's going on, but that's from the artist's perspective. And I guess when you get old enough, it's also it's also uh, from the perspective of of the of the fan. Um, but since I was such a late bloomer playing music, this record. Like I said, I was babysat by record player. And when my mom got this vinyl, I remember listening to it. And we, you know, I listened to Sweet Baby James and uh, the, the couple of his other records. And, but this one, I, I, and I see, I didn't really realize at the time that it was a greatest hits. I thought it was just another James Taylor record. And some of the songs sounded familiar, but I probably hadn't really paid attention much and listened to the other ones. And so I thought, wow, this is, and I, and I literally wore it out. And so, so for me, from a young listener's perspective, it was an album and it is a snapshot in time of being able to listen to a record and to be turned on by every song in a different way, as opposed to having to sit through clunkers, you know? Um, so for me, it was, it was, it was pivotal to, to a certain extent because that was a, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a glimpse into my childhood of, uh, and maybe in hindsight, it was a, a, a because it was such a, a great collection, it was a snapshot. Uh, it was a combination of, it was like a photo album of all those great things. And so maybe that's why I latched onto it so much. Yeah. And, and Wayne, I told you that I didn't think any of our guests would just choose a straight up non greatest hits, James <laughs> Taylor record. And then I did a little research and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we've mentioned the, uh, the the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time and guess what uh James James Taylor's on that list 
not for this record, but for Sweet Baby James, the 1970. Yeah, and I, that's the one I thought of when I was listening to this. Uh, was I think four of the songs off this greatest hits are off of that. So I'm right. I'm intrigued. I don't know that I'll ever get a chance until somebody picks it, but um, I'm interested because of the four songs. Um, I think I I rated them all pretty high. Yeah. So I, I'm I think that album probably would be interesting to listen to. A- any guesses on? Where on the top 500 Sweet Baby James's ring? <laughs> the, the latter half of the 300s. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Actually, you know, the last couple episodes we've done, um, the, it, it's been Rolling Stone latter half of of uh, of that top 500. No, it's actually listed at number 103 on the top 500. That's surprising to me. High. Yeah, it's really high. I think, but <laughs> I think he knows somebody at Rolling Stone. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting. So I decided to go over to James Taylor's uh, website. Did you know that uh, if you want guitar lessons, he's got all sorts of videos on his website and he even, he even uh, advertises it as free guitar lessons. So if you're looking to do a little, uh, little picking little uh finger little, picking little learning uh go over to james taylor's website and he'll uh he'll school you that's intimidating <laughs> all right so uh as a reminder our scoring for each of the uh each of our records is based on the number of songs on the record so wayne how many songs on this record 12 Means our top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite song, 11 on down to lowest score of one. So here is the first song on side A. This is Something in the Way She Moves. Something in the way she moves. Looks my way or calls my name. That seems to leave this troubled world behind. If I'm feeling down and blue Or troubled by some foolish game She always seems to make me change my mind I feel fine anytime she's around me now She's around me now Almost all the time if I'm well, you can tell that she's been with me now. All right. Who wants, uh, who wants to get us started on uh, the, the first track? I will. I thought I initially had it much lower because I thought he was ripping off the Beatles. And then I found out that he inspired the Beatles. So I had to give him points just for that. And I did... One of the things I realized early on the first few times I listened to this is I underestimated him as a lyricist. I think some of his, I mean, most of his songs, his lyrics are, they, they're not like tricky. They're not, they're not uh, overly clever. Or you don't have to figure out what they mean, but they paint a vivid, a very vivid picture. Um, and I don't think I ever really gave him enough credit for that, but he also admitted to ripping off. I feel fine. So it's a, it, what goes around comes around. Exactly. I, like, I can agree with that. What you got on, uh, on this song, Ian? Um, almost my top pick. There are a few, few artists songs that I 
wish I would have written. And I wish I would have written this song. It's a, I think it's a brilliant song. The guitar in it is, if you, if you're a guitar player and you try to figure this song out, it's complicated. And or at least for me, because it doesn't do, it doesn't go where you expect it to go. There's traditional changes in formats and it just kind of doesn't really do that. Uh, and uh, it's from one of the things about songwriting is that, and James Taylor has a tendency in his later years is to start out with a really strong first verse that paints a great picture. But then by the third verse, you're like, what was the first verse about you? And you, you kind of get lost in it, but this song is strong beginning to end. And um, it doesn't, hurt that the people that are playing on the record are were close dear friends of his and they'd been playing and living together and you can tell because it really it, it just it's it's almost a perfect it's almost a perfect for the style and, and genre of song it is it's almost a perfect song all right but it's not my top yeah it's it's not my top either and and to your point ian about uh, the guitar styling Maybe you should go to James Taylor's website and maybe he's got a lesson there for you. Oh, I can play it. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) So there you go. All right. Let's get some, let's get some scores. So uh, I I will throw up mine. Mine, mine's a five. Um, And now I'm, I'm feeling like maybe I was a little harsh with, with that considering that Ian is telling me how hard it is to play. Yeah. Guess what? I'm not a, I'm not a musician. I'm not a guitarist. So I don't know how difficult that is. Um, I just thought it was an interesting choice for the first song. Not that I, not that I hate the song. It's just, I thought it was an interesting choice for the very first song. It's not, on a, the record. It's not a choice though. They're in chronological order. Is, are they? Okay. Yeah, the first two songs are from his first record. The one thing I did discover on this, I didn't realize how far back James Taylor went. This was recorded in like 68 yeah. at Apple Records in London with you know Paul McCartney. Originally, the, in fact, the next song, Paul McCartney played bass on the original recording. These first two, for publishing reasons, were actually re-recorded. Right. And that's where I think they added the steel guitar, because I don't think that worked on this one, where I think it did work on the next one. Yeah. Right. All right. Wayne, what was your score on this? Yeah, he inspired the Beatles. So I gave him a six. I, I had it. I originally had it lower. All right. And then Ian? I had it 11 because it's my second okay. favorite. As I'm concerned. Yeah. It goes back to what I said. It's like when if people ask me like what my favorite song is and I pick a favorite song and generally it was like, yeah, no. <laughs> so it just goes to show how subjective music is. You know, it's, it's, that's what I love about it. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's the beauty of this podcast as we talk about how we're consuming music very differently. So Wayne and I are consuming most of these albums very differently as, uh, you can attest to in, uh, many back episodes. So, all right, let's move on. Second song is Carolina in my mind. I'm Carolina in my mind. 
Carol, I rated it pretty high for a couple of reasons. One, and again, like he, like he had, Wayne had said, this is the, it's a different version than his original recording. Um, again, I think it's recorded very well. You can tell it's an early song. The thing about this album is that as it, as chronologically, as it goes on, they add more and more stuff. The production gets more and more busy, um, which I don't like. I like songs that are simple and plain because if you can't get your song across on just a guitar, then you don't have a song. If you have to add a bunch of crap to it to make it sound good, then you, it's not a great song. And Carolina in, Carolina in my mind is by itself is a great song. Um, this version of it is fantastic. Um, it's, it's interesting, uh, flying machine. There's that line in the song, sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground, well, flying machine, his previous band. And they, that line is about the band breaking up. And, uh, I never, I thought he was talking about planes until I realized, until I learned a little bit more about him. Um, but also the, this song has a special place in my heart. Cause when my daughter was really young, I used to play this record when I was taking her to preschool and she loved the song and she would sing it in the back seat. So there's that. We we attach a lot of memories to to songs and they get bolstered up because of that. So yeah, get it. And and you know, to your point of look, if you can't just play it on the guitar and have it sound like a good song, um, you're not the first musician to have told us that. Well, I that from Tom Petty. So Wayne, what what do you got on uh, Caroline in my mind? Uh, this one this one suffered because of the extra points I gave to sh- something in the way she moves. But I, I this one the, definitely I would love I would love to hear the recording with George Harrison and background vocals and and Paul McCartney on bass. But uh, this did work. One thing I notice is you don't hear a drum cymbal in this entire album, uh, uh, not one, uh. Uh, which is fine. But uh, I would I would add the piano too. If you can play the song with a piano, uh, then it, then it's a song just yeah the same as a guitar. And this one, this I know it's about him being homesick, and I think that comes through. But even especially towards the the verse towards the end with the, talking about omens, and it almost has this kind of like prison feel, like that's how homesick he was. That he you know he. It, it's a it's it gets kind of eerie towards the end, but it seems like a, just a fun. All, he flirts with country like a lot of these songs. He never quite goes over there like the Eagles or Jackson Brown, but uh, he he flirts around with it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I like that he flirts with country. That's great. Yeah. All right, let's get some scores. So Wayne, I gave this a five, and then Ian. I was so I wasn't sure. I thought we were supposed to score like the our favorite song. We got a twelve. The second got eleven, and all the way down. Um, so that's how I scored yeah. them. So I have everyone has a different score, but that this one was ten yeah. for me. And then uh, I gave it a nine. I like I like this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to tell you, I I like the seventy six version better. I, I'd like to hear them back to back. Yeah, do do it. It's it's interesting. I, I but for for me the 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 76 version works works better for me so all right moving on here's fire and rain 
My body's aching and my time is at hand I won't make it any other way Whoa, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Everybody knows this song, right? Um, so the bio info on this, first, first part of the song is about Taylor's friend who um, had committed suicide. Uh, second part details... Uh, his struggles with drug addiction, which um, is kind of a theme in a, a lot of his a uh, lot of his songs, uh, drug addiction and depression. And then um, the third part deals with uh, coming to terms with him, you know, becoming popular, becoming Sweet Baby James. So um, this is just a really great song definitely a staple of am radio um you know going back to your your point ian of attaching memories to to songs um i can't hear this song without thinking of my dad because you know my dad always had an am radio going on whether it was ktac or uh king before it turned into you know news radio that kind of deal so um I definitely have some memories attached to this song as well. You know what? I'm this is one of the best songs ever written. Uh, I'm not a huge James Taylor fan. I'm not a huge easy listening fan, but this this is one of the best songs ever written. And just, I mean, it's, I know it's on the Rolling Stone 500. It's justifiably so. Um, he really he the he knocks it out of the park. I mean, it's still. A lot of one of my criticisms of James Taylor is a lot of these songs musically are very, very similar. Um, the ones that really rose up to the top for me are the ones the ones where he does does something a little bit different. This is really in his wheelhouse, but lyrically, it's 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 amazing. Um, just the lines. I mean, the the chorus in of itself. You know, the 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 contrast between the sunny days that never end. I mean, we all had those times where just it felt like this beautiful day was going to go on forever. And then the, the despair of the, we've all had those times where there's like, you just need someone, you know, you need someone you're trying to, you're calling people, no one's home, you know, nobody's got time for you and how just ultimate, just completely, you know, in despair you can be. And then the heartbreaking, how heartbreaking is, I always thought I'd see you again. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad died a while back but he was sick and he was in hospice and it wasn't a shock, but I mean, some, I mean, but somebody that you expect to see again and find out that you never will. It's, I mean, he just, he brings all of that into one song and uh, I, I'm out of words. I lost, I, lost, <laughs> I don't have anything else. Yeah. Ian, how about you? I agree. It's a great song. Um, uh, I think, uh, Gus Kunkel's drums get a little out of control, but I guess that's part of the dynamic of it at the end. Um, I like the percussion in this. Yeah, no, it's it's good. It's good. Um, I, I I didn't rate it as high as the other ones for me. It's there is a, 
I don't know. It's like there's I hear it. I listen to it. Maybe I've just heard it so many times. Um, there's just something about it that it just doesn't really quite measure up to some of the other ones. I, I think it's a really good song. Don't get me wrong. The time in, in his life when he wrote it, I can I can I can see, you know what where it came from. I'm sure, you know, like waking up and having your close friend gone hit you like a ton of bricks and, and how he dealt with it is he sat down with his guitar and he wrote a song and, and it probably was very cathartic to him. And we've experienced that over the last several years where we're now at the, I, I make the joke with my, my wife, it's kind of not a really fun, funny joke, but I said, you know, I, I don't really like this stage in my life where I'm going to more funerals than weddings. Right. And, um, and the fact that we're now starting to, uh, lose classmates can't believe that we're old enough where we're starting to lose classmates to uh uh, to mortality so it's um yeah this song becomes even that more poignant to me that's true all right let's get some scores so ian eight and then wayne that was my favorite song i gave it 12 yeah this is this is my favorite as well this is uh this is a 12 for me all right so moving on to Sweet Baby James. Thinking about women and glasses of beer and Closing his eyes as the doggies retire He sings out a song which is soft but it's clear As if maybe someone could hear Good night, you moonlight ladies Rock of our sweet baby Jane Deep greens and blues are the colors I choose Won't you let me go down in my dreams Who, uh, who wants to get us started on sweet baby James? As a songwriter, sometimes you work on songs, sometimes you have an idea and sometimes you work on them and you put them down, you come back to them and you, and you pick them back up and you, and you edit them and you change them. And sometimes you sit down and the song's done in 10 minutes. And my guess is that was this song for him. He sat down. It was a road trip down to Florida to see uh, my, my recollection of the stories that his, someone, his friends had had a baby and uh, he was going down to drive him down from wherever he was in the Northeast down to see him and see the baby and wrote the song on that trip. But my guess is it didn't take him three days to write it. My guess is he stopped and wrote it in 15 minutes. And this song, there's something about this song that flows. And there's and there's history. And it's just, um, like you say, he flirts with country. He does it again on this song. But the the the, the three, four time, the the way it comes across. To me, is it's my it's my favorite song on the record. I think it's I think it's a one in a million song that you you know if you're if you're lucky as an artist to write one song like this, it's it's a game changer. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah. So 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 going to the uh, the background. So what I read was that this was written for the son of his older brother and the son's name is 
also named James. So here, here up until two days ago, I always thought that James Taylor was writing this song in the first person, kind of like, you know, like Jim Croce singing about you don't mess around with Jim. Right. Are you guys going to burst my bubble and now tell me that Jim Croce wasn't writing the song about himself? He could. It was Big Jim Marshall. That's the first line of the song. Dang it. All right. So you just bursted my bubble. So now that's my that's my thing. Yeah. You, you're 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 really good at it. <laughs> I, I don't share the same sentiment. Uh, I gave this a three. What? Yeah, it's just, it doesn't do much for me. Yeah, okay. Well, Ian's right, number one. Uh, <laughs> I think the uh, this I, this is my third favorite song. I gave it a 10. I think the three, four, it's, it's an old, it's an old time signature, but when you bring it out unexpectedly, it has this uniqueness about it that, that draw, that, draws you to it. Uh, and like I say, and I'm a suck, he wrote it for, you know, he's writing it. It's almost got a lullaby feel, you know, yeah. is he right? Is he writing it to his nephew? Is he, is, I mean, cause clearly he's the low, I mean, is he the lonely cowboy, the lonely traveler, but I'm a sucker for writing songs about your son or your, your nephew or your dad or your grandfather. And uh, this one is, is this, and like I say, he also is thinking about uh, women and glasses of beer perfect yeah maybe that's why i didn't share the sentiment all right there you go probably having having spent a lot of time on the east coast as a child i understand that the berkshire seemed dreamlike i mean i i know what he's talking about you know so a lot of people that may not have experienced that may not understand but there's there's certain things if you've if you've experienced it and and lived it it it, and that for me again it it, again it's a Music triggers memories, and as far back as I can remember, this song's been one of my favorites of all time. And I think he does such a great job that I don't that I don't have to see the Berkshires to know exactly what they look like. That's one of the things that I had said earlier. This song is a highlight of it. Is I can I can see him sitting around a campfire in a in a canyon, and and I can see him you know driving this this harrowing snowy road with these this beautiful you know mountain range to the side he 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 draws it right up for you does it uh, does an amazing job yeah all, all you would have had to done is add and miles to go before i sleep and it would have been the perfect song <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all right did i get you guys a score uh, 12 12 for Ian. 10 gotcha all right and three i know i'm i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> all right let's move on here is Country Road. One and the same Mama don't understand it. She wants to know where I've been. I have to be some kind of natural born fool. I want to pass that way again. But I could feel it, though. On a country road. Walk on down, walk on down, walk on down, walk on down, walk on down a country road. La 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 country road. And this just again is going to show the the differences in our opinion. So this is my 11. There's something about this song 
that I, I really dig. Um, and I can't really just put my hand on it other than, so I'm, I just got back from vacation. Uh, we listened to this record a couple times and one of those times was driving through North Carolina. This is, this definitely felt like a good, um, road song. And so maybe, maybe, uh, just the, the recency of me taking that trip on these country roads, um, may, may, may have, uh, prompted me to, to give it a little bit higher score than that, but it's a, just a great song. Oh, I, I, I agree. I think, and once again, he's a little, he's, he's, a, he's gotten away from that, that easy listening, you know, acoustic guitar with some, you know, piano and he's, he's got a different cadence. He's got a little, he's, I don't know, bluesy or funky the way his, the way he's saying, you know, child and walking down a country road, Mm -hmm. it all has a a little bit different, almost like a little bit of an attitude. And once again, he's, he's right up on that line, but not going over into country. He's, he's, he's flirting with her hard now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to steal that by the way, Wayne. It's all yours. Flirting with country. Yeah. That, that isn't that a Molly Hatchet song? No, that's disaster. I'm kidding. Which is I'm kidding. It's kind of the same thing. How you look at country music nowadays? Yeah. This might be. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> country radio. Oh, okay. This song came in the middle for me. Again, because there's so many of, of the twelve songs, you know, one of them's got to be the best. One of them's got to be number. The, the got to get a one. So, um, as far as this one goes. I see what you're talking about. He does kind of push. He's getting a little bit out of the easily easy listening, but it just, I, I, I listened to this record a lot of times going through these. And, uh, and then, and then I sat down and I didn't score it while I was listening to it. I sat down, I just read the names of the songs and I was looking through it, like which one meant the most. And this one really kind of was just in the middle for me. I mean, it's a good song, um, but there's nothing about it that like screams, brilliance although it's still a great song yeah i know it wouldn't be an episode without uh, our guest telling us that you know our scoring system sucks but it's good it's cool it's cool (laughs) it's all relative it is mathematics man love it yeah (laughs) all right let's get some scores then so i i told you this is my 11 and then wayne i gave it an eight six ian six all right So that moves on to last song on side A. This is You've Got a Friend. Even your darkest night You just call up my name And you know wherever I am I'll come running got to do is call and I'll be there yeah 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 you've got a friend and I lost my note so hold on just a sec (laughs) (laughs) there we go Taylor would win his first Grammy award for this song Uh, King won song of the year for the same song in that ceremony back in 1972 
what I found was interesting was the follow-up single to the song is a song called Long Ago and Far Away. And uh, it was also a top 40 hit in the U.S., but it's not on the greatest hits at record. Any any reasons why? Uh, Paul McCartney on the rights or something? I don't, I don't know. know. That's, uh, that's what I'm... Uh, that's interesting that you would say that. I don't know if it was written under the Apple moniker. Um, probably because the producer who was picking the songs didn't like it. Yeah. There was only enough room on the vinyl for this many because they were doing vinyl and some of them got to get left off. So, yeah, I have a few that, that uh, are coming up soon that uh, should have been left off um, before that. But <laughs> anyways, what, 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 what do you guys have to say about uh, you've got a friend? I will tell you, uh, you know, going back to the personal stories, tapestry got played a lot in my house. And right. it is, it is one of the best albums ever. And I know Wayne, you're going to just completely refute that because it is easy listening. That is AM gold right there. But um, I think I probably attach those memories to both um, listening to Tapestry and also just the sentiment. It's a, it's just a great theme. Um, as well who who doesn't need a friend right yeah that actually a lot of my score is based on that theme i mean it almost in a way i i kind of looked at it as a response to uh that line in fire you know fire and rain when you look around one of those days when you just can't find a friend and then he's you know he's promising you know i got your back i'll always be there when you call regardless of our situation and uh i i got you i got you boo that's it it's funny you say that because the the things I've I've read a lot about James Taylor, but I've also heard a lot of stories about people from people who um know the family and and that you've got a friend. I, w- I would think that um uh, it's kind of counter to what I've heard. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what he's singing about, but uh, I, I again I. Carol King is a monster. Carol King is from another planet as far as songwriting goes. And I, I, there's a great biography about, about her. Um, and it talks about early, early on how, how they would write for other people. And it just blows my mind that someone can sit down in an office and crank out hits like that. I mean, it just, it's, you know, for me to write anything, I have to be in a specific headspace or, it's got to be quiet, you know, whatever. And for someone to go to work, drive across the turn, New Jersey, drive in from New Jersey <laughs> on the turnpike in traffic, go write songs and then drive home is like, like you're going to go punch a clock. It, I just can't wrap my head around it. And uh, to come up with something like this, I mean, and, you know, and James Taylor does, a, does it justice, man. He does it justice. It's a great cover. And, uh, and it's cool. They have a great friendship. They they're great friends, and they still perform together, as far as I know, from time to yeah. time. You know, I I used to have to go to New York frequently, um, and one of the things that I absolutely needed to do was walk past the Brill Building there in in New York. And yep. even though you can't go in there, there's no museums that are set set forth for for what happened there. I mean, just the fact of 
who who wrote who wrote there and recorded music there i mean we're talking carol king we're talking paul simon neil diamond neil sadaka burt Bacharach. i mean um am i missing some people phil specter i'd love to know a do- the dollar amount generated by the songs written oh, there gosh. yeah absolutely yeah yeah all right let's get some scores on you've got a friend uh i'm giving this a 10 wayne i gave it a seven and then ian i gave it a seven all right let's uh let's flip the record over this is don't let me be lonely tonight do me wrong do me right tell me lies but hold me tight Save your goodbyes for the morning light But don't let me be lonely tonight Say goodbye and say hello It's enough good to see you But it's time to go Don't say yes but please don't say And uh, I got to tell you that I love the Isley Brothers cover way better than this original version. I mean, I'll even take the Eric Clapton version over this one, too. I didn't listen to that one, but I did listen to the Isley Brothers and they they sex it up big time. And how can you not how can you not like a song that that starts out with do me wrong, do me right? Come on. Yeah, well, I think some of the some of my low score is based on the do me wrong, do me right, don't say yes, said please say no, say goodbye, say hello. I just was for a guy who who really uh, changed my impression of him with his with his lyrics early on in this record. He he just tanked and just went overly cliche. Like he was more concerned with rhyming than he was with with what he wrote on this one. Thank God for the Isley Brothers to sex it That's up. right. That's right. Uh, and this was uh, this wasn't a super big hit for him. It only peaked at number fourteen on the Billboard Hot one hundred and seventy three, um, but it did reach uh, number three when there used to be an easy listening chart. So there, there oh, you he's, go. He's the godfather of easy listening. If he doesn't have the most easy listening, you know, yeah, number ones. I don't know who does. Yeah, and. So, so just fair warning, I am going to diss on some James Taylor verses coming up, but that first verse where we're talking about the do me wrong, do me right, tell me lies, but hold me tight. That verse is not one of the ones that I'm going to diss on. So I don't care about the cliche. It's fun, especially when the Isley brothers get a hold of it. (laughs) Ian, what you, what you got on this? You know, I, I, I'm not a fan of cliches either. Um, he manages to pull the song off. Just just listening to it, at least he doesn't at first listen. At least the the cliches don't jump out and kick you in the teeth. Um, it's only when you listen to it a couple of times you re- if you start to sing along, you're like, oh my god, is that what I'm singing? Um, <laughs> I am not a huge fan, and I don't know why, but I am not a huge fan of conga drums in songs that are like this. It there's a there's a style of music and a time and place for them. But when you're doing this kind of music and it's like, 
whoever was in the studio just maybe they just were like, yeah, throw some congas on there. And it's like, it, it just, for me, that kicks it down a few notches, but that's just my personal taste. Again, as this, if you look at my scorecards, my higher scores are on the earlier songs. And as you get down into the later, more produced, different producers and different players, I think he did drag some of the main guys with him pretty much throughout his career. Because um, why wouldn't you, you know, play on James Taylor records? Yeah. Um, but the, it's the production and the different studios and, you know, and different times in his life. And like you said, he early on, he struggled. He would, when he was in, in England, he was, uh, and then he came back and he was in New York and his, his dad actually came up and, and rescued him. Uh, he was strung out really bad, but he, he still battled alcohol later on um, pretty bad, really bad. And so I don't, I don't know how that came into effect in his, um, you know, in his writing or in how, where he was, um, you know, with his marriage or he, he still managed to hold on to the place out of Martha's Vineyard. I mean, he owns like 80 acres or something out there, something ridiculous like that. Um, and he's always working on that place, but and if he writes out there, whatever he does, but this, again, this song, whether it's the producers or what it was, it just didn't really do it for yeah. me. There's there's no congas in the flirting with country, right? <laughs> That's flirting well, something yeah. else. I don't yeah. know what. I think of the perfect scenario with studio musicians and everything. No one's playing congas. <laughs> so yeah, and he's he's stopped flirting at this point. I mean, he's now like you said, this is in chronological order, and he's starting to get more produced. He's doing yeah. less less of that uh, easy listening slash country stuff. He's starting to get he's starting to get overproduced. I think he switched from heroin to cocaine. Hey, trust the late seventies, man. All right, so that's that's it's <laughs> the reference. Run in Rome. Uh, all right, let's get some scores on this. So uh, I'm giving this a five, Ian. Five, and then Wayne. I gave it a three. It was it fell into a group of stuff that towards the bottom. There you go. Can't wait to talk about. <laughs> Nick, which leads us to next song, which is Walking Man. Here you go. Well, the frost is on the pumpkin, and the hay is in the barn, yeah. And happy's come to rambling on, stumbling around, drunk down on the farm. And the walking man walks, he doesn't know nothing at all. Any other man stops and talks But the walking man walks on by Walk on by Most everybody got seed to sow So this is the title track from his 1974 album called Walking Man. Uh, This was released as the album's first single. It did not chart on the Billboard Hot 100 at all and um no other singles from that record are on the greatest hits record so not uh not generally looked at as uh one of james's best records yeah well one word that is mispronounced in another song kept kept this from being the least my least favorite song i mean the walking man walks hmm whoa shock me knock me over with a feather I just, this is easily uh, lyrically not strong and musically not strong. Yeah. Production's not strong. 
it was this is the beginning of the synthesizer sort of era and you could they use some instead of using the real instruments i think they use some fake synthesized things on this and i think it it hurts it hurts it for this song i think that there's a couple songs coming up that that it works but it it definitely does not work on this I'd be hard pressed to get anyone to play walking man just on a guitar or just on a piano by themselves and be able to pull it off. And that goes back to what I said earlier. Yep. All right. So uh, let's get some scores on this. So Ian. Four. And then Wayne. I gave it a two. Yeah. And I'm matching your deuce on that. All right. Next song is how sweet it is in parentheses to be loved by you. Deeply touching my Thank you, baby. Yes, I do. How sweet it is to be loved by you. Feel so fine. How sweet it is to be loved by you. I'm going to give this a little bit higher score just because, again, the, the, the sentiment, this is total cheesy 70s you know, gold, not quite on the yacht rock scale, but it is, uh, it's definitely catchy. And I, I at least give a little props to, to James of trying to switch up his sound a little bit. It's not super high on my, on my scoring, but, uh, I give it a little props just because, you know, I think we've, we've heard enough depressing songs on this, on this record. And, um, this is a nice little, nice little upbeat song to it. So, so what else you guys got for how sweet it is? Well, I'm going to give him a point for trying to cover Marvin Gaye because that's not an easy task. You're no. you're set yourself up for failure. Um, I know there's he has very little harmony in any of his songs, which it works. But the girls on this one can't touch the girls that sang with Marvin. Uh, but it does yeah. almost feel like he met someone special for or something because he does he, he all so many songs about depression and isolation and and then he he comes out and he can be happy and he's got a little bouncy piano and uh, he's singing a fun song. So are you dissing a little on Carly Simon because she's providing some of the harmony vocals? She, yeah, she she does a I, she does an excellent job. But if you listen, I one of the things I did was listen to the Marvin Gaye version and those girls knock it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as I, I all, all respect to uh, Carly Simon, but she still doesn't touch those girls. It's almost sounds like uh, he's got the uh, Diana Ross and the, why am I drawing a blank on? What was the name of Diana Ross's group? The Supremes. Supremes. That's it. Well, I could not think of that. Yeah. There you go. I'm looking at this. I'm wondering why I gave it such a low score. Again, I, I'm with Wayne on the Marvin Gaye thing, uh, and uh, Carly. And again, maybe it's because I've, I've, I, I, all I do is sit around and read music biographies, and so I, I've read uh, Carly Simon's, I've read James Taylor's, I read Carol King's. So I have a different perspective on all these songs after the fact. Um, I like the piano in it. I think it's nice. The piano is kind of more up front. It's kind of a more of a boogie woogie piano. Good phrasing, good cadence. But it's again, it's for me, it's. A little kind of, it's the it's the production really. I guess really, what when I really scored this, 
maybe I was thinking too much of the how overproduced some of the stuff was. Sure. Yeah. No, I can I can totally see that. So let's get some scores then. So Ian, I gave it a three. And then Wayne, uh, four. And I gave it a six. Okay, I don't feel too bad no. now. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Here's Mexico. I'm, I'm going to tell you a little little info that I found on here about Mexico, and then I'm going to ask you if you want to change your score. Okay. Do you know who covered Mexico? Oh, that you know what? And that version stayed. I listened to it, and it stayed pretty true. And then at the end, he goes all Jimmy Buffett on himself, and I just like I say, this song is Margaritaville is a good song in 1977. But he's turned it into a franchise, and I listened to a live version, and he he changes the words, and he hams it up, and he's so into himself, and it all is pinned on one song. So, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. All right, and that doesn't change. That doesn't change because this. I look just because I think everybody associates that whole "leave it all behind and go to Mexico" with Margaritaville, and this song is actually the original "leave it all behind and go to Mexico" song. And it's, it stood up because, like I say, James Taylor hasn't turned it into a franchise and made a joke out of it. I was I was going to give you an opportunity to change your score. Usually I belittle you when you change your score on me during the episode, but I was going to give you an opportunity. <laughs> I do not need an opportunity. Okay. I do not need to change my score. So. All right. There we go. All right. Ian, what you got on Mexico other than, you know, it's a Jimmy Buffett song? Well... James Taylor, North Carolina, you know, Chapel Hill, Northeast, England, Apple Records, hanging with the Beatles. And then the Mexico thing, I think the reason I gave it such a low score is that if you're going to sing about Mexico, and it's funny you brought up Jimmy Buffett. I kind of giggled when you said that because it made a lot of sense once you said it. But I think of an artist like Bob Dylan, who goes down and spends time south of the border and then writes an album like Desire. And you can feel it in everything that is on that record. It's You feel like, wow, this guy went down there and got engrossed in the culture and everything. And who knows what things he took while he was down there, but he came back and he gets it. And this one just, I think it's glossed up. And I, I, uh, it's, Probably it's one of my least favorites on the record, and um, tried to learn it on guitar, and I can't even get past the second verse. And I think James Taylor went down to Mexico to hang out with Sammy. That's what I think happened here. 
<laughs> but he was at a, but he was at an like, like an Americanized resort. That's what he, he, that's, he went down to Cancun and hung out at Senor Frogs. Right, or something that's like what that, I'm you saying. Know? He went down he went down to Cabo and he just drank vodka with Sammy Hagar the entire time. That's why you know it's like, yeah. hey, it's Mexico, it's Pepe. It's like, no, why don't you drive a little bit further away and find out the real Mexico? Well, you can't because there's guys with machine guns and. <laughs> the machetes they'll chop your head off i'm not saying i mean i get i'm all for going in and 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 becoming you know getting the culture i i that i'm sure would be an amazing album but yeah you don't it's not safe and there's still but i'm just saying look at what this song has i mean just look at all of the songs that are about leaving and going to mexico whether it's toes by zach brown band or mexican minutes by brooks dunn brooks and dunn uh uh, what was the uh, beer in Mexico by Kenny Chesney, Margaritaville. Uh, there's just, it's the idea of just getting out of here and going to find some sun. It's so hot. You, you'll, you don't want to go home. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fun. And he hasn't been a lot of fun until just to write about now. <laughs> That's true. All right, let's get some scores then. So, uh, so Wayne, I gave him an 11. I had, a, I have a good time listening to it and I prefer it over Margaritaville now. There you go. How about you, Ian? I gave it a two. Yeah, and I gave it an eight. Yeah, so we're all over the place here. With the subjectiveness, a subjectiveness of music. Absolutely, we just <laughs> proved it right there with Mexico. That's right. All right, this is second to last song. This is "Shower the People." I got to tell you when uh when you picked this record Ian I thought Shower the People was going to be really higher up on the scale for me. Here's my problem with this. So here's and here's my problem with James Taylor. I feel like he writes really great choruses. Like really great choruses. But sometimes getting to those choruses are these verses that are just kind of non not memorable and i really love the chorus in this one but the verses are just that they're just not very memorable to me um i don't know what what do what do you guys have to say about shower the people i think that this scored pretty high for me the verses i mean you can play the game you can act out the part though you know it wasn't written for you that's the exact one I wrote down to that I was going to reference. It has great parts. But ultimately, it comes down to mispronouncing the word "the." It's not. It's shower the people, not the people. He that literally drove me crazy. I could not get away from it. I could not get around it. All right, all right. I'll give you that, but I can look past that. I think. I think lyrically, it's good, and I think it, it shower, shower the people you love with love. Um, yeah, I like the sentiment. That's kind of how. At some, I don't know when, but at some point in my life, that's kind of what my mantra is. 
You know, it's there's having hate in your heart. It just is. It's just harboring grudges. It takes so much energy. It's negative. I think it's a huge cause of cancer and bad diseases. If you, I think negative stuff, I don't want to get all freaked out, but (laughs) but if you choose to, if you choose to just find the good things and, and if you surround yourself with people that you really like and, 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 and shower them with love, you know, I mean, your family, your friends, it's a, it's a good, it's a good thing, you know, and it's, um, and it, it comes across in the song. Yeah. I, and I do agree with all that. And I'm not saying that showering the people is not a good idea, but I will say this squeaky wheel gets the grease is literally a cliche. It's actually, it actually is one. He leads up by saying, you know, it's true what they say about the squeaky wheel always getting the grease. So he's, he's, he's basically saying it's a cliche. He's not using it as a cliche. He's saying that it is a cliche. And I think that's tricky. I just think the verse you quoted, that's the one I wrote down. I think this song has great, really high points where he's, where once again, I, I give, I completely will say that um, as a lyricist, he is one, he is amazing. And I didn't give him enough credit before that, but he's starting to get shaky at the end. If he, if he, if he, had sung it, shower the people you love with love. I think it would have changed your score. <laughs> I think it would. No, it would have changed my score a lot. I think it it really bothered me. I don't. I, I may seem petty, but it did. It just the it just drove me crazy. It got in my ear, and I it's like I need a melon baller try to get that thing out. Mm. Earworm. Yep. Oh man, your your OCD is showing. I, lo- I love uh, it though great cr- you're the english major i can't believe you let it go uh, you're right <laughs> you're right he is it, it depends on where you're from right or is the t-h-e-e no well that's that would be a different kind of the but if it was in the beginning of the word then he and the eh, it, it's it's america i know he's from carolina so it's right. not it could have been y'all shower y'all Look, I live here in Florida. There are lots of mispronunciations down here. So um, if you're going to get if you're going to get bent up on the uh, Wayne man, do not come to Florida. That's all I can say. Maybe I like getting bent up. That's not fair. Don't, don't listen to anyone under thirty. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. That's a that's a policy. I don't. I already don't do that. My dad died. My dad said. What did my dad say? He goes with all the texting and stuff, he goes, if this cancer doesn't kill me, the, the annihilation of the English language is gonna. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's get, W-T-F-L-O-L. yeah, exactly. Let's get, let's get some scores on this. So, uh, I think we already know what Wayne's score is. He's dropping. I gave it D one. <laughs> I gave it a nine. Yeah. I gave it a seven. And like I said, I thought it was going to be higher for me, uh, but yeah, there was just I had some issues with some some of the verses. I just didn't think that they were all that great. Let's wrap this up. Here is a live yep. version of Steamroller. Yes, I'm a cement mixer for your babe, a churning urn of burning funk. Well, I'm a demolition derby, yeah. A hefty hunk of steaming junk. 
Get us started on this because um, you're. Uh... Wait, when I'm done, you'll understand. Okay. So the first Bring time it. I listened to the rec- I listened through the first time automatically. This is my least favorite song. I don't need to listen to it again. This is my least favorite song. He's, I, I, I and I, I honestly believe that I've heard that he's covering it because I, I know I've heard this, but it's a standard twelve bar blues, so that's easy enough to mistake. But I'm thinking I've heard Howlin' Wolf or Muddy Waters do this much better. I know I've heard it somewhere, though. So then I, I want to know who did sing it. And it says it's written by James Taylor. So then now I'm real confused and I've got to know more. Then I find out that he was mocking all those white blues bands of the time. And now I like that. And I think, where have I heard this song? My mom's a huge Elvis fan. Yep. And Elvis did this song and he did it. I remember it on his Aloha Live from Hawaii his big satellite concert that he did. My mom had the live record, listened to it all the time. And Jesus I thought God. to myself, Elvis didn't get it. How ironic that the guy who made rock and roll and rhythm and blues safe for white people doesn't get that he's singing a song that's mocking the very thing that he's doing. <laughs> and I said, bam, I can't put him up higher than a couple of these songs because I like him so much better. But just on what he just did, I put him all the way up and gave him a nod. It's because James Taylor just pulled a punk rock move. Is that is that why? Absolutely. And like I say, you know what? And he was hooked on heroin. That's a very rock and roll thing. And I don't think people associated with, with uh, James Taylor. But yes, that whole move, just I don't even care that he he it's all about what he was doing. It really doesn't matter how it sounded anymore. He took a song to make fun of somebody and got the guy who invented what he's mocking to sing it live to an entire world of people. I did not know that story. And so I feel bad that I gave it a one because I'm not a blues guy. And which is why I gave it a one. And I, but now that you say that the very first thing that comes to mind is Randy Newman. And I just, am like, Oh my God, the satire is, is so thick. I could barely get up out of my chair right now. I, <laughs> yeah, I he, knew the story and I'm still giving it a one. <laughs> so there you are he got the king of rock and roll to sing that song and like there's no way that elvis knew it was a joke there's no way that he knew he literally took this song and i could say i just thought to myself how ironic the this is the guy who invented the thing that he's making fun of and he is singing it for the entire world via satellite in his white jumpsuit with his oh, cape and i was like i i don't <laughs> Boss, I love it. Yeah. All right. So you already know Ian and my score. So uh, Wayne, what's yours? I give it a nine. You're so high. <laughs> he, just, he just punked Elvis. He literally punked the king of rock and roll. I get it. Had I not known you could change our scores in the, in in real time, I probably would have bumped that up to a four or five just knowing that story. It's it's that's rock and yeah. roll. No, that's Absolutely. no, that is. I I get it, but it's still a one for me. All right, so let's. I never listened to it again. I I can say I listened through the first time, and I was like, "That's my least favorite song." I don't need. I never listened to it again. 
the score was completely changed on what he did. Yeah. Uh, what he was trying to do and what he ultimately did to Elvis. <laughs> when I'm driving, when I'm on tour and I'm driving for seven hours at a time and I'll put on James Taylor um, and I'll, every once in a while I'll put on this record and it comes to the last song and I change to the next record. Yeah, me too. We, we, we so. did that the second, second go round of listening to this record on vacation. So yeah. But I mean, how did Elvis not know? Those lyrics are so ridiculous. Uh, ridiculous. A cement mixer, a napalm bomb baby. That's he. He. I can't figure out how someone could know King. Don't do it. It's a joke. He. I just love it. Yeah. No one tells Elvis what to That's do. That's right. Colonel yeah. Parker is probably like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are a napalm bomb, Elvis. You, you are, are a the cement, cement mixer. Yeah. Kind of like a cement mixer now, Elvis. They're very much shaped like a cement mixer. Uh, <laughs> All right, <yeah>. let's. <laughs> All right, well, did 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 we cover everything on James Taylor's Greatest Hits Volume One? Did we miss anything? No, nothing. It's all all out there for everyone. So, of course, halfway halfway through this whole thing, I'm wondering why I didn't pick. Uh, now I have like all these different albums in my mind now that I, I want to I would have to do instead. But you know, hindsight 2020. Well, what 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 are you thinking now? I mean, just because of the stories and stuff that are involved, that I'm thinking like "Fables of the Reconstruction" by REM. Fantastic. Yeah, can't go wrong there. Well, I guess we'll have to have you back. I don't. Well, I've got another record. Hopefully, I'll be making. There you go. There yeah. you go. All right, let's look at some scores and uh, figure out what our uh, top five is. Any guesses on our top song? Uh, baby fire and rain but ian <laughs> tanked no not, no he, he gave it an eight so it was still up oh, there okay. yeah 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 so that's that's definitely our yeah that's definitely our one i think caroline in my mind is probably the is probably the winner uh no it's fire and rain is it fire and rain? yeah wayne uh wayne uh tanked uh carolina in my mind oh right that's right Top five songs on this Probably average score is much higher than the last seven. Uh, absolutely. So here we go. So Fire and Rain average score of ten point six six. The Sweet Baby James and Country Road tied for second with an eight point three three. Um, my apologies for the Sweet Baby James because I tank that one for you guys. Um, and then tied for fourth is Caroline in my mind with an average score of eight along with you've got a friend. Our top five is side a. Right. Yeah. So, so that kind of prompts the, the next question is he's been making music since 1977 when this came out. So if there was a definitive James Taylor greatest hits, um, we don't worry about the, you know, the, the, the time of a vinyl. What are we missing on here that should be besides her town too? Well, we're not missing candy, man. I know that I don't miss it, but I'm just, I'm, I'm intrigued to listen to the, to the record, sweet baby James, and just see, I mean, there's four of the, four of those songs. Uh, wow. Steamroller. That's, that's a joke song, but still three country road. I think, uh, Sweet Baby James and Fire and Rain are all on Sweet the album Sweet Baby James. I'm curious as I'm I'm curious to give that a listen and see what else is on there. Well, I have you I have you booked up uh, listening to other records right now for for a future episode. So I got to finish with Joe Henry. Sunny skies on it, and it's got his 
Uh, oh, Susanna, his version of Oh, Susanna is pretty good. And that's on, uh, that's on Sweet Baby James as well. You know, the, but the, yeah, Country Road's on it. Sweet Baby James. Yeah. Fire and Rain. Yeah. Mm. All right, man. Well, it's been a pleasure revisiting with you. So, uh, to tell all of our listeners where they can find all the happenings of Ian Jones. Well, so my website, ianjonesmusic.com, uh, and you can go to the tours page and it'll, it'll show where I'm playing. And I'm, uh, there, I have to update it even again because there, we've added more shows than are up there right now. Um, mostly on the West coast, Montana, Oregon, going down to California in October. I'm going to be down to Santa Barbara for the, uh, uh, Car- uh, avocado festival and i'm going to be playing at cold springs tavern which is one of my favorite places in the on the planet and then hopefully uh through the winter we're going to try to tighten up the band and kind of play from you know eugene up to bellingham and kind of keep it on this side of the mountain so we don't get killed on a icy road crash but then next year we're going to try to hit the festivals and and uh once the record's released you know september 13th it'll be should be available in the greater Seattle area in most of the record stores, vinyl and CD. And then uh, on the website, we're going to have a merch page where you can get the record or the CD or the shirts or hats. And we're going to do a bunch more merch. So uh, it's fun. And the, the, the band is really good. And it's hopefully, uh, hopefully what we'll be able to do is uh, go out and, you know, not just turn people onto the music, but entertain people. Cause that's kind of what it's about. And we, we have a really good time, uh, when we play together. So hopefully that'll translate live and people will want to come back and see us again. Very cool. Very cool. And I think the record is, you know, this is technically my 12th record and it's a thousand times better than anything I've ever done. I mean, this is Jesse did such a great job. The guys on the record are a who's who of who's played in the music industry and who they've played with is, you know, crazy. And, uh, nice the nicest guys in the world we had more fun than anyone really should have when you're working and i've made some really good friends um out of the out of the deal and i look forward to working with them again so hopefully uh this is just a stepping stone to uh even better stuff in the future cool cool stay tuned we we wish you all the luck in in the world and in success for this record and uh, well and back at you you know i appreciate it's kind of this is really fun that we and i don't know that people really caught this in the very beginning but you know we basically grew up together and it's so cool that we're able to come back on our paths cross again because of something like this and you know you're doing this podcast stuff and and i'm doing the music stuff and then here we are and we're you know asking me about washington (laughs) high school parkland theater i mean that's you know that's that's what life's about man Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's the producer saying it's it's time to wrap. That's it. All right. So so um, so as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited podcast. We're on Instagram using the hashtag Records Revisited podcast. Uh, Wayne, I didn't tell you this, but I just set up a Twitter account. We'll provide more information on that next next episode once I uh, actually start using it. Uh, You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and wherever you find fine podcasts like ours. And you can find all of our our old episodes. Just go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Like 
Ian Jones record, visit a record store and not just on record store day. We are records revisited and we are out. out.